Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of February 4th through the 6th, 2022. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Can't believe it's already February. Where did, you know, 2022 go? Uh, anyway, apologies again for the delayed episode this week. Like I mentioned last week, uh, looking for an apartment in New York City is no small feat, and it's basically a second full-time job for me right now. Uh, for anyone curious, or who cares, uh, so far I've toured like 20 apartments over four days, uh, which if that sounds like a lot. It definitely feels like it is. Um, I've got another five or six I'm going to be looking at over the next couple of days as well. Luckily, we found one we think we like. So we sent an application and fingers crossed, but we're just going to keep looking in case uh, until we can actually sign the lease. Um, in any case, with the Oscars nominations coming out yesterday as well, I've got a lot of podcasting to work on for my Oscars Death Race podcast. So we'll try to keep this episode short and sweet or as short as sweet as we can anyway. Uh, looking at the domestic box office this past week, uh, there are two very different movies at the top of the charts that kind of illustrate two very situ- different situations. And um, in first place, you know, we have the fourth Jackass movie, Jackass Forever, from Paramount, opening to twenty three point one million in three thousand six hundred and four theaters per theater average six thousand four hundred and twenty five. Another two million or so abroad puts it at about twenty five million or so total. Now that's not the biggest box office in terms of absolute terms for the first weekend. Um, even it's even a little bit below the 26 million that box office pros had forecasted but the fact that this film only cost 10 million dollars means they've more than doubled uh their production value at this point and everything else is gravy from here Looking at past Jackass films, they generally have had about a 2.5x multiplier, um, so that's going to work out to about $75 million for this film by the end of its run, which would be a pretty phenomenal return on investment, all things told. Uh, speaking of the Jackass, Jackass franchise, I took a look at their numbers, um, and it's kind of been a hallmark for the film to be very cheap. You know, Jackass 1 was only $2 million, um, while 2 and 3 were 11 and three and $20 million respectively. And then they all had pretty solid returns. You know, the first three films made $64, 72 and $117 million. Uh, domestically respectively not to mention the international numbers as well Um, now this is the second lowest opening for the franchise which is to somewhat be expected with a 12 year lag um, you know uh, from the last mainline entry Apparently, there was like a 2013 spinoff called Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, which you know also made a pretty good return, $102 million on a $15 million budget. Um, and then there's also some pandemic hesitancy as well. But still, it's a solid performance nonetheless. Um, and you know what I find most interesting here is that it was the critics' response. Um, looking at Metacritic, you know, the first three films had scores of 42, 66, and 56, respectively. Um, however, this one suits all the way up to a 74. Um, similarly, on Rotten Tomatoes, this, the first one had a 49 the second and third had 64 and 66 um but this latest one is credited with an 85 percent certified fresh now i haven't seen the film i felt it's not it's not my kind of film um and I really haven't seen any of the films, but I'm really curious what about this one led critics to like it more than others. Maybe it's aged well in hindsight um, into coming around to it, or maybe it's the meta story of friends coming back together. Maybe it's the fact that this is the first pure comedy we've had in a long while. I don't really know. Um, also, apparently 67% of the audience here were Gen, Gen Z and millennials under 34 years old, um, which, you know, were if you were thinking about who was watching Jackass back in, uh, you know, when the series first came out, um, like 20-some-odd years ago, you know, you, you would think that that would be the audience who would be going back for nostalgia, but no, it's a completely new audience. Um, I think part of that is, you know, they apparently did a lot of marketing on TikTok, um, so that, that, I think, bodes well for this franchise in the future, even if hopefully they don't kill themselves doing any of these uh, future films, if there are any. 
Uh, in second place, on the opposite end of having a small budget but a big return, we have Roland Emmerich's latest disaster film, Moonfall, uh, opening to $9.8 million in 3,446 theaters per theater average of 2,864. Now, another $1.8 so abroad, which mostly comes, I believe, uh, from Russia. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, that's, you know, about 11.6 million worldwide or so. Now, you know, if this had had Jackass's budget, that would be kind of acceptable. Um, again, below the 11 million that box office posted forecasted. Um, but, you know, uh, and even if they tend to forecast a little bit high, but, you know, this one had a massive $140 million budget, which you kind of have to for a big sci-fi film like this. Um, and that includes some Chinese investment, which, you know, makes this one a certified flop, at least going off of domestic numbers. Uh, numbers. Even the 3X multiplier, which is not going to happen with a C, very low C-plus cinema score rating, it wouldn't even get the halfway of that budget. Now, there was a chance that this film was not meant for the domestic audience, simply enough. In 2017, a similar disaster film, Geostorm, had a $100 million production budget, made only $33 million domestically, but went on to make $187 million offshore markets, $65 million of that from China, though it looks like, based on some numbers that they got, that it still ended up being a loss for the studio at $72 million total due to reduced takes from uh, from the studio uh, from uh, from overseas markets, um, but you know this one does have China dollars behind it. So maybe where Spider Man and Marvel aren't able to get a release date over there, um, maybe they're able to get one for this one, and that might you know end up pushing this into uh, success uh, to some degree. Um, but I think between a genre that I don't think people are really in the mood for. I mean, have you looked out that side the window? We don't really need movies to tell us about the end of the world. Um, and you know, again, a pretty crazy budget. Um, this one still looks like it's pretty much not going to be profitable and still on arrival. Uh, third through fifth films are all familiar faces. Spider-Man No Way Home is number three. Nearly lost to Moonfall, 9.8 million against the 9.8. 3,600 theaters per theater, uh, mere 17% loss versus last week, uh, week eight, per theater average of $2,641. A domestic running total is $748.8 million, only about 10 million away from overtaking Avatar, which should happen by next weekend. Um, worldwide, it sits at uh, 1.776 billion dollars to date. Uh, fourth place goes to Scream in its fourth weekend, dropping 34% to a $4.7 million total uh, for this weekend, 3,227 3, theaters for a per theater average of 1473 domestic total so far of 68.9 million. Uh, international uh, of 44 million puts it at 113 million worldwide. Notably, after the solid performance it's had these past couple of weeks, a sequel has been greenlit by Paramount, uh, production to start later this summer. Uh, fifth place, as usual, is for the kids. Uh, Sing 2 dropped only 10% uh, week 7 for $4.2 million in 3,266 theaters. Running domestic total of uh, 139.8 domestic, 153 million abroad, putting it at 292.9 million worldwide. Now, outside the top five, you know, the only real interesting thing is the limited release from Neon of with the worst person in the world. Now, this is Norway's submission for the Oscars Best International Feature, and it was one of the five films that got nominated yesterday. Um, it also got a, bot, a Best Original Screenplay nomination, which is pretty exciting as well. It opened in only four theaters and made $138,000 uh, $138, or so for a stunning $34,600 per theater average. Very solid start for a platform release that only bode well with its run with the Oscar buzz behind it. 
Now, overall total box office this week was $58.9 million. This weekend, we've got a number of films uh, coming out. First, uh, The Beatles Get Back Rooftop Concert, which was a success a couple of weeks ago, is coming back to IMAX this weekend. Um, and then we have three wide releases. First, we have yet another Liam Neeson film called Black Light uh, from Open Road Films. Um, box office post is forecasting 2 to $5 million opening. And then we have a Jennifer Lopez, uh, Owen Wilson, Maluma uh, romance dramedy appropriate for Valentine's Day, I guess, uh, though it may be struggling against Super Bowl weekend, um, forecasted to open to 7 to $12 million or so. And then we have Disney's Hercule Poirot sequel filled with various problematic actors. Uh, Death on the Nile is set is forecasted to have a 12 to $17 million opening. Currently, it sits at 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, which, granted, is a little bit better than the first film, which had a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but, you know, that one, uh, we'll see how that one ends up doing. Again, that one also does have an upcoming uh, China release as well. Uh, depending on how whether it's able to hit a 12 to 17 million opening next weekend, uh, if Jackass drops about 40% or so, um, it would be a tight race for number one next weekend. Um, also, worth noting, with Dune getting 10 nominations at this year's Oscars, it's coming back for another 300 to 500 theaters as well hopefully good enough to push it over that 400 million lifetime total currently sitting at 399.3 million worldwide to date now looking overseas obviously the big news is lunar new year in china and we'll get to talk about it in a second um, but before that some other highlights due to kaizen crossed 10.4 billion yen at the local box office or about 92.2 million us dollars which puts it at the highest grossing film of 2021 in japan beating out the evangelion movie um, i think that makes the first the top four films from 2021 in japan all uh animated films um over in the united kingdom sing 2 continues the animated dominance holding it at number one for another weekend being the first film in 2022 to gross over 10 million over there. Um, and then in live action, the breakout of Japanese film Drive My Car, which nabbed four movie, four Oscar nominations yesterday, including uh, Best Director and Best uh, Animated Film, or sorry, Best Adapted Screenplay, in addition to a Best Picture nomination and, of course, the Best International Feature. Um, that pick, was picked up for international distribution in various markets, not the U.S., uh, by streaming service Mubi. Anyway, looking at China, last weekend, the Lunar New Year holiday, which is traditionally the biggest weekend of all the box office, um, you know, over this, it was, you know, frankly, it was a bit of a disappointment, right? Um, now, over the six-day week period, China saw 6.04 renminbi, or about 950 million U.S. dollars, which is below projections and only up about 2.4% from 2019. Still, that is good for the second highest holiday weekend of week of all time, but 23% down from 2021, which saw 7.8 billion renminbi, or 1.2 billion US dollars. Now, last year, that partly was due to pent up demand um, because of the pandemic, um, and also had two very wide, or the very widely anticipated Detective Chinatown 3, as well as the breakout hit Hi Mom, uh, which both went on to be the number two and num or number three and number four uh, grossing films of the year, or somewhere thereabouts. Um, uh, however, this year, you know, 20% of theaters were closed. The Olympics opening on Friday likely served as a bit of a distraction from people going to the movie theaters. And while there is no shortage of films, though, it doesn't seem to have been a big pop-off like Hi Mom was. 
uh, going through the top six films actually uh, in first place throughout the through the weekend. So from this from um, from uh, Tuesday through Sunday, as expected, it was the Battle of Lake Tangent sequel, Water Bridge Gate, which made thirty nine three hundred ninety eight point one million US dollars through Sunday. Second place was the comedy Cool to Kill, Too Cool to Kill, made two hundred eighteen million US dollars through Sunday. But apparently, it has really strong legs day over day, pretty much the same daily totals for multiple days in a row, which is pretty astonishing. Uh, third place went to the drama film uh, Nice View with 105.1 million US. Uh, fourth place was the animated film from the Boonie Bears franchise, Back to Earth, making 89.5 million. And then fifth place went to drama- the dramedy uh, Only Fools for Us In with 74.5 million to date. Rounding out in sixth place is uh, Sniper, um, making 41.3 million, likely due to being in competition with the similar war film uh, Lake Tang Jin. Now, all of these films are on the top 10 of 2022 so far for the worldwide box office, but it's still early in the year, and I'm definitely sure there's going to be stuff to push, push some of these off to the film. Now, it's very likely over the next couple of weeks, um, Lake Changjin, Too Cool to Kill, and Nice View especially, should all have, you know, pushed a little bit further to stay on the charts for a little bit longer, especially Lake Changjin. Um, however, compared to last year, where Detective Chinatown made 550 million US in its first week, and Hi Mom made 422 million in its first week before going on to make 840 over its lifetime, um, it's still a bit of a disappointment here. Now, we'll see if this pushes China be, to be a little bit more open to Hollywood films coming back or not. Um, like I mentioned, we maybe can expect to see Moonfall come there. We already know Death to, Death, uh, Death on the Nile is going to be coming there. Um, but aside from that, still no Marvel films yet. Anyway, looking at some headlines beyond the numbers, we got a couple a couple new movie dates. Uh, Filipino-American comedian Joe Corey has a film coming out Easter Sunday, originally meant to come out in April 1st, which you know appropriate for uh, the you know for the title. Um, however, that is being pushed back to August 5th. Um, I think this is a move mostly to try to avoid competing against the Sony Marvel film uh, Morbius, uh, with the biggest competition on the new date being Owen the Owen Wilson comedy Secret Headquarters. Um, in a tradi- which is and August also is a traditionally higher lighter month for competition. Um, this is also the month that Crazy Rich Asians ended up popping off. So if there's that strong Asian American support for this film, I think they could do particularly well. Uh, we also got confirmation that West Side Story will be coming to streaming soon. Uh, it'll be on Disney Plus March second. Um, that works at about an eighty day theatrical window or so. Now, moving over to some legal news. First up, if you saw the recent Ice Age film on Disney+, Plus, The Adventures of Buck Wild, um, you may have noticed that, aside from being pretty lackluster as a film, a sort of acorn-obsessed squirrel rat named Scrat was absent from the six iterations of the fil- franchise, despite having been in all past five films. The reason for this, as it turns out, Disney does not own Scrat anymore. Apparently, back in 1999, Scrat was created by cartoonist Ivy Silberstein, uh, um, and you know, it's spelled S Q R A T. Um, and then Fox ended up, you know, seeing the design and using it in their films, which led to a whole protracted legal battle. Which apparently, I think in 2003, the judge ruled they have joint ownership over that over Scrat. But you know, uh, Miss Silverstein did not let down and kept on uh, finding out the legal case for the past 18 years or so. Um, and then in 2019, Fox, Disney acquired Fox, which included Blue Sky Studio or Blue Sky Studios, um, who created you know the uh, the Ice Age films. Um, and you know they eventually I think when the past couple of years settled with Ivy giving up this trademark for Scrat which she confirmed in a tweet late last year that she quote unquote won the battle after 18, 20 years or so um, and you know that's basically why Scrat doesn't show up they didn't want to have to like bother with the whole licensing situation from her 
Now, kind of mixed feelings on this one. One, you know, there's been many stories of Disney kind of screwing over their individual creator talent. And so, you know, being a, a, the small guy going up against studios, especially Disney, and coming out on top, that is, you know, pretty rare and, and, and a win for the little guy. On the other hand, I think there's something bittersweet because obviously, if you've seen the the the, the films, for many people, Scrat is the Ice Age franchise, and it's really the only thing that people were interested in watching. Um, and so, for her to like keep it away from people and keep what make people happy out of the films um, seems kind of bittersweet. And 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 I don't know. And I'm not gonna go on and say full asshole, but definitely like definitely. Uh, you know, if you're if you're looking about the greater good and greater happiness, this isn't it, I think. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a very nuanced situation going on there. Uh, meanwhile, over in Warner Brothers, Villets Rozo, who is the co-producer of the Matrix franchise, as well as the Joker, uh, American Sniper, and the first Lego film, uh, they've sued Warner Brothers over the day and date release uh, of the HBO Max of, of Matrix Resurrections on HBO Max, saying it hurt the film's releases, uh, release profits. Now, that's the Cassie headline, but going a little bit deeper, there's a little bit more than that. Than that. Um, what they're really alleging is that Warner is trying to deprive Villets Rozo of rights to co-own and co-develop the derivative works of films that they co-own right like the fa- like the matrix for example village productions uh village Rozo owns part of the matrix um now you know this is this and this this has happened before specifically with them and warner brothers the reason i specifically mentioned the first lego movie is that after the wild success of the first one which uh village Rozo ended up paying 50 percent of the cost because they believed in the project and so they got 50% of the profits. Warner Brothers basically cut them out of the second film um, entirely um, you know, so they could get more of the, of the profits, which ended up not being all that much um, or as much anyway. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that definitely, I think that's the bigger story here is that, you know, Village Rotor is trying to assert its rights to it, the films it co-owns with Warner Brothers to make sure that they're not cut out of derivative works in the future. Um, and sir, you know, many may say that, hey, the film wasn't that great. I kind of disagree to some degree, but the, it, it it definitely wasn't up to the same thing that people were expecting from the first film, so it was always going to fail to some degree, right? And that may be true, um, but also it can't be helped that think that, okay, well, HBO Max uh, definitely played a role in them trying to push out this film on HBO Max to get subscribers, which caused it to have a reduced uh, opening weekend because, hey, you know, people aren't sure if the Matrix film is good or not, right? You at the very least, even if it drops off a cliff in the second weekend, you still would get captured more audience in the first one to make a little bit more money, Um but because it's available on HBO Max, people can watch it on there, and they basically don't have to pay, and Village Rozo gets lowest review. So, um, yeah, that I think it makes sense for Village, Village Rozo for both reasons, you know, their own protecting of their ownership of their works, as well as, you know, this whole situation with HBO Max, which, again, is done at this point with 2022, but um, it kind of makes sense for them to take these actions. Uh, speaking of going on streaming, Netflix released their preview of 2022 films with about 86 films lined up or, up or so. Um, there are a couple of highlights from the trail. I won't go through all of them, but you know, uh, we have Knives Out 2, of course, uh, and then we have the Russo Brothers spy thriller Gray Man starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Uh, there's the time travel science fiction film The Adam Project starring Ryan Reynolds and Mark Ruffalo. Um, Guillermo del Toro has his, uh, his top most pick Pinocchio film. Dev Patel has his uh, directorial debut Monkey Man. He has the animated film My Father's Dragons from Cartoon Saloon, um, and then the return of Key and Peele and Wendell and Wilde, and many, many more, including various international projects. Um, given how um, Red Notice and Don't Look Up made an impression, you know, broke all sorts of streaming records, even if, you know, 
80 of these 86 films and end up being forgotten within a week or so. If a couple of these pop off like those two did, um, I think it'll be worth it for Netflix. Plus, you know, we are, we, we are seeing, I think they're in a better position than ever uh, with uh, since they started campaigning to be in the position to win Best Picture. So I think there are definitely going to be a lot of awards contenders here as well. Um, and then, you know, the last couple of headlines are AMC-related. You know, first, they're raising $950 million to, to try and refinance their debt in a, in a bond offering. Apes tell me exactly what this means. Um, and then they're also bringing on a former Frito-Lay exec to be their new VP of growth, which I guess, given the importance of popcorn to the industry, um, kind of makes sense. Uh, in any case, that's all the headlines I have this week. Nothing I've been watching just because, again, the apartment hunt has been going on. I guess I've been watching uh, Street Easy. Um, but with the Oscars death race underway, I think I'll be getting back into it shortly. Um, speaking of which, you know, I got to go record that episode of the Oscars death race. So um, I think it's going to be a wrap for this episode. Shoot me ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewattspodcast at gmail.com or over on Twitter at BOWattspodcast. Our shows on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or share it with a friend. Any of that helps. Um, you can support us on Patreon if you're feeling so inclined. Um, links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod at thecompany.flowmusic.io. Editing production by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Music.